I didn't set out to be a rock star walker. I just started doing it. And one year led to two, led to three, led to five. And now we're right at 25,000 miles. Nobody knows their number and the number of their days. But when you have a terminal diagnosis, it kind of focuses you, sharpens your focus. Well, welcome in everybody to the Run the Race podcast. I'm your host here with you for the last three years now doing this, Jason Dennis, a TV news anchor down here in Columbus, Georgia, just south of Atlanta. And uh, this is our last episode of Run the Race for 2022. Hard to believe it's already the new year. This episode will come out. There's Eve Eve, I believe. And uh, so we have a special guest with us, um, somebody that I've known for a long time uh, from back when I was growing up in uh, the mountains of North Carolina. He lives in Hendersonville. He's a Tar Heel fan like me, uh, Jim Pierce. And so we're going to introduce him in just a minute. And uh, so make sure if you missed the last few episodes, we had a Christmas music extravaganza. We had a lady on last week in, um, in her early 70s that did uh, about more than 70 races she ran and walked uh, over the last uh, year. Pretty amazing and pretty inspiring. She has a great story of faith as well. And uh, so uh, looking forward to a lot more inspiring, motivating conversations in the year 2023. And I know you, everybody's making their New Year's resolutions. So uh, I, I decided we didn't want to necessarily talk about like goals or resolutions and that maybe some people don't believe in for the new year. But I wanted to have a conversation with somebody that has uh, done some pretty inspiring things. So we have with us Jim Pierce who's on staff at Grace Community Church, has been there for more than two decades in uh, the North Carolina area. He is the uh, pastor of visitation, cares for uh, those in crisis, and has led a lot of teams overseas for the last 40 years and uh, traveling in 40 different countries. Um, he has a degree uh, from Appalachian State University in North Carolina. He got it in radio and TV broadcasting, so maybe he wanted to do what I do now, um, but uh, God really changed the course of his life. And um, so he has some amazing stories about what he was doing in terms of smuggling Bibles uh, behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, started running uh, pretty young in his early 20s, but um, gave that up at age 40 because of health issues. And uh, now he has walked, get this, 25,000 miles over the last uh, seven and a half years. Most of that after he turned 60 years old and uh, averaging nine miles per day. Pretty amazing. A uh, lot more walking than I do running. And um, he believes uh, God has used that to help him avoid some deep depression. So we're going to talk to him about that. Uh, he was also diagnosed with stage four non-smokers lung cancer uh, earlier this year. And in February, he was given five months to live. And uh, here he is, um, you know, way past that. And uh, he's here. he was here for Christmas. He's going to be here for 2023 and beyond. Um, so we're going to talk to him about that and how it's kind of um, perhaps changed his idea of living life to the fullest. So without further ado, uh, here's my friend, uh, Jim Pierce. Thank you so much, Jim, for uh, spending some time with us. Thanks for the honor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I know that uh, we've been family friends for a long time. And I know that, um, you know, I, I, you knew me when I was a little, little uh, tiny kid. And then also uh, you were in part, part of Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, at different schools and, and really reaching out to the youth. And, uh, and by the way, happy belated birthday. Just turned 66 years old. Um, and uh, you're, you're looking younger all the time, you know. Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, you know, we, I, I want to talk to you about a lot of different things in terms of, you know, your journey of faith, 
which uh, started off rocky when, when you were younger and uh, how you have really, you know, spent a, a life of helping others uh, in crisis, helping young people, helping people overseas. I want to talk to you about that and, and, and family life and the cancer that you're going through right now still and in terms of some amazing treatments. But I wanted to start off with this walking journey. So, you know, um, tell me about, you know, how you and I know you were a runner previously for a few decades, but tell me about how you decided to do this you know, challenge of walking nine miles a day and been doing that for about more than seven years now. Well, I joke with people and I say that God told Forrest Gump to run, but he told me to walk. And that's what I started doing in a serious way. Uh, basically, the day that our daughter graduated high school and moved to do mission work in Honduras, I knew that there was going to be a big void in my life because I had been so involved in her life. And if nothing else, just a cheap taxi to go to her events. Um, and I really felt like that day that God said walk and uh, not just walk lightly, but walk seriously. And we live at the top of a mountain and about a thousand foot elevation drop and back up to do my walk. And so I just started walking kind of like Forrest Gump did. He had no real reason other than he just felt like he was supposed to run. And um, it became it has become a vital part of my day when I wake up in the morning. It's my first battle because laziness wants to win out. And I found that uh, flipping the covers is the key. As long as I hide under the covers, then I'm going to lose. But thankfully, I've been able to flip the covers for seven and a half years now. And I joke with people and I tell them if I lived on flat ground or if I had to start uphill, I'd just quit. But we live on top of a mountain, so I'm half asleep and walk 25 minutes down, and then I start back up and doing side roads, things like that. Uh, I tell people that everybody has a drug of choice because we all have pain in our lives. We go to something. And for me, it's, I guess, a pretty healthy one uh, for my body and for my soul, for my spirit. I listen to uh, worship music on my headsets. I pray. I look at nature, look at the deer and the bear and whatever is running around uh, early in the mornings. So I do six miles in the morning and that's my workout. And then in the afternoon, my wife and I do another three, a little less strenuously. So I, uh, you know, you um, started this, I think you were probably about 58, 59 years old. So was this something where did, what, I mean, what did people, your family and friends and th or think of that, or did you feel like, okay, I'm physically going to be able to do this consistently for a long time? Well, I think I joke with people and I say most of the good things that have happened in my life, I either tripped over or fell into. That's just been God's mercy to me. It's not that I set out to run 20 or to walk 25,000 miles. I just started walking. It became a part of my routine. And now it's, I can say it's a vital part of my routine. And um, I do it, try to do it absolutely every day. I try to never skip a day. If it's icy, I may have to wait till later in the day or I'll go to the mall and walk if I can get off the mountain. But it's just part of my encouragement. It draws me closer to God. It draws me closer to nature, gives me a chance to kind of back away because it's, it's easy for all of us to get lost in the forest for the trees. And to back away gives me a, a bigger perspective and the worship music or whatever's going on. Those things all are very encouraging to me. 
And from a, a fitness perspective with it, do you feel like it's really, you know, even going through the cancer you've gone through this year, do you feel like it's made you stronger and maybe with your heart and other things, maybe doctors have told you what you're doing is keep doing it? Oh, definitely. Um, walking, I guess, is one of the easiest things that you can do for your body. And um, so walking the nine miles, um, my docs are pretty well astonished. And they kind of wonder if I'm telling the truth. And my wife is there to verify it because she walks and she hears my watch talking to me. So uh, everybody's encouraged that I'm able to do it. But I didn't set out to be a rock star walker. I just started doing it. And one year led to two, led to three, led to five. And now we're right at 25,000 miles. And what would you say to folks? I mean, we're at, we're heading into a new year and, you know, I was talking about it before. A lot of people make those resolutions and maybe they might last a few weeks or a month or, or more um, for, for the goals they set for like, you know, maybe certain eating habits or going to work out of the gym and stuff. So what would you say to folks, you know, of all ages about maybe setting those goals and sticking to them? Because you talk about flipping the covers and some people talk about lacing up the shoes. So what, what would be your message for folks about, you know, how to maybe set a goal, but also the, the hard part is sticking with it. Well, I think um, this sounds weird, but I think aim low because I think a lot of people, uh, in fact, you can trace the purchase of exercise equipment and people start off with all these grandiose ideas and, you start looking at the papers or Facebook marketplace in March or April, and you see a lot of these machines for sale. I think part of the reason is that people aim too high. I'm going to get up every day and I'm going to do 30 minutes or I'm going to do whatever the thing is. Aim low. Start with get out of bed. Start with walking down your driveway. You know, we have a guy in our neighborhood that when he started, I call him skinny now because he's lost about 60 or 70 pounds. And he said, when I started, I couldn't hardly walk to the mailbox. And now this guy is up and down this mountain every day, and he's an inspiration to me. There's a lady in here that's 82 to 84 years old. She won't tell me her age, but every morning she's out walking, doesn't matter how cold it is, and she picks up branches in our neighborhood and drags them off into the woods. She's mm -hmm. another great testimony. Another man here who had a stroke and used to be in great physical condition uh, got to a point where he couldn't do all of his running. So he started swimming and then he got to the point where he couldn't swim, but he's pushing his little walk around. And I always see him with a smile and he encourages me to keep on going because I don't have it nearly as challenging as he does, but he's not given up yet. Yeah. And then, you know, almost seven years into this challenge uh, that you had, you know, kind of started because your, your daughter had moved away and you felt like a sense of like maybe losing that purpose. And so, but set almost seven years into this, you are diagnosed and uh, with uh, you had a, a, I guess a rare mutation of this uh, non-smokers lung cancer. And so tell me about that time and, and how all that happened, because I'm sure that was, was um, that shook you and your wife and your family when you hear that, like you've got five months to live. Yeah. Um, I had no clue. Uh, like most of the people that have uh, cancer, many times they have no clue it's there. Mine started with a sore throat or actually uh, hoarseness. And it went on for two or three months and I didn't think anything about it. And eventually went to the doctor and told him my symptoms. And he said, well, I think you probably have GERD. 
you have acid building up. So he gave me stuff for acid buildup. That didn't happen. So, so, or it didn't help. And so he gave me double. That didn't help. So I had a friend who was an ENT and I thought, what the heck, let's go to him and he can look. And so he puts the camera down my throat and he sees that one of my vocal cords is paralyzed. And uh, he knew right away, there's a basically only one thing that'll paralyze a vocal cord and that's the cancer has eaten into the nerve. He set me up for a PET scan and sure enough, I was eaten up with cancer. It was in my lung, it was in my back, it was in my liver, it was in my lymph nodes. And uh, the first surgeon that looked at me said, we need to put a port in right away and fill you up with chemo because uh, lung cancer is not curable. It is always uh, fatal, terminal, just depends on how long. Most people, it's less than a year. And so before they put the port in, thankfully, an oncologist got involved, cancer doctor, and he said, let's send off your blood and see if you might be part of the 5% of lung cancer patients who have a unique mutation. So they sent off the biopsy in the blood and sure enough, I was in that 5%. 95% of all lung cancer patients, there is no drug. There's chemo, there's radiation, but those only help temporarily and sometimes do more harm than good. I thankfully had a mutation called AOK plus and For that particular mutation, there have been drugs developed, uh, which are basically proteins that teach the body how to fight cancer. So Mm. it's not a chemotherapy. It's called an immunotherapy or a biologic. And as long as your body will tolerate it and not hurt your liver or kidneys too much, then there are people that have been on it a year, two years, five years, maybe even 10 years before it runs its course. And they're in constant testing to try new drugs, uh, new clinical uh, studies and things like that. So I'm very thankful that if I had to have cancer, I was in that 5% and that there are new drugs that are coming down the pike and nuances. Uh, Another neat God sighting. I remember about two years ago, Facebook had this commercial going on that said, I'll bet there's a group for that. And of course, they're trying to get people to use Facebook. And so motorcycle riders and skydivers and everybody has a group. Well, I thought, okay. So I just typed in my mutation, ALK3. And sure enough, this group pops up with over 3,000 people in it around the world. 30 countries or I don't know how many. They took me in. Within a day, I had 90 people who had responded to my introduction. And we're kind of a family to each other because there's no room for play when you know you have a terminal disease. And everybody in the uh, Facebook group has that disease. So most days I go there to read people's stories, to try to encourage people and to get encouragement from others who are further down the road than I am. Do you, you know, I mean, back then or even now, do you ask yourself like, you know, God, why me in terms of the cancer, but also why me in terms of the, I'm in this 5%, you know, in terms of the um, being able to survive and be treated? Well, I think it's human nature to ask why, and I don't think God gets mad about that. God's not angry at us. It's not like he's taking out his judgment on us. But I believe as a result of the fall and as a result of leaving the perfect garden, disease is now rampant. And the scripture says that it rains on the just and the unjust. 
And so when I want to have a pity party and say, why me? I I have to follow that up quickly by saying, why not me? And I know my sinfulness and I know how I walk away from God many times. Uh, So if it's a deserving thing, then yeah, I deserve to have cancer. But because of the blood of Jesus, that doesn't enter in. But it is is easy to go there and to ask those questions. Uh, Then I go to the website, to that Facebook group, and I read people who have much, much worse stories, or I read obituaries of people that they've done all they could do, and now they're gone. And some of them know Jesus, and some of them don't. So I uh, am thankful that if I had to have cancer, that I have a loving wife and daughter and others to support me. And I'm very thankful that when he told me two to five months, he said, but there is a medicine and I want to start you on it today. And that medicine, here we are, I guess, nine months later, 10 months later, and my body is accepting it very well. And who knows how long that will continue. But I feel much more of a a directed purpose now. Don't have time to play because I recognize my time is short. And in reality, nobody knows their number and the number of their days. But when you have a terminal diagnosis, it kind of focuses you, sharpens your focus a little bit more. Uh, the people you're around, the people that you want to impact. I remember meeting an old man down in uh, who had a ministry in Mississippi for 20 or 30 years back in the 50s and 60s. It was uh, about race, racial reconciliation. And he, uh, I met him at an event. And the Lord whispered to my heart, go over and encourage him, because I'd followed his ministry for years. And I went and encouraged him and introduced myself, said, I don't know you, you don't know me, but I've been following your ministry. And this 85-year-old man grabbed me, said, Jim, my greatest fear and the thing that keeps me up at night is that I will not finish well. Mm. And that really spoke to my heart, um, that I want to finish well for God's glory, for Jesus, not for me. And so for the weeks or months or years I have left, I want to finish well. And the glory goes to Jesus for that. Yeah. But this, uh, in, in fact, you know, this podcast called Run the Race, uh, that title is based on, you know, a verse in Hebrews about finishing strong with perseverance and, and running that race, race well and, and seeking after Jesus, not just seeking after your personal glory. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure... Like you, I think we're telling me on the phone, we talked this week about, you know, how um, you, you were not supposed to be around at Christmas. So I'm sure, you know, the holidays and, and Christmas and being with family, you, you treasure that time that you maybe didn't know if you'd be here for that. And, and also you told me when you sent me some information about yourself and the, for the introduction, you were talking about the, uh, the, uh, the line from one of my favorite movies as well, Shawshank Redemption, get busy living or get busy dying. So does that, um, you know, um, speak about that. I mean, you were talking about that a little bit, but just about the seizing the day and like that, not, not that you necessarily need a wake up call, but when you get this diagnosis and you're told that like your time is running out because we're all going to die, um, you know, someday, you know, um, and then, you know, but, uh, does it, does it change your perspective? Like, what do you do differently than you maybe pre-cancer? Well, I, uh, this sounds kind of weird, but everybody has their little um, nuance of how they deal with things. A dear friend of mine gave me a T-shirt that had that saying on it, get busy living or get busy dying. 
I put it on my bed and almost every morning I spread it out, spread the wrinkles out of it because it lays on the bed all the time. And it's just a constant reminder because we all forget, you know, the, the story of redemption from the Old Testament and the New Testament is that God does something wonderful in somebody's life and they turn around and totally forget it. The Israelites did that. And so God had them build these altars, these rocks of remembrance, because he knew they'd forget. That's human nature. And same thing for each of us. We forget God's mercy and we turn to other things. So I need visuals. And one of those visuals is that T-shirt. Another one of my visuals is just getting out of bed and starting walking. And most mornings, although I get really tired and I gripe and I'm whining that I want to quit, I'm very thankful I'm still able to walk. And I pray that in some way Jesus uses this for his glory. It's keeping my body healthier, I guess. It's keeping my mind a little more sane. And uh, other people that find out about it, I hope that it's an encouragement to them because I didn't set out to do a big thing. I just did the little thing. And what's the old quote? A journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. And so I would encourage others that way. Take the first step. Don't make a huge goal, but just take the first step and see what God does with it. Yeah, you, you just never know. I mean, you just got to get out there and do it. And yeah. uh, kind of going back in time a little bit, talking about God and faith, you know, uh, 50 years ago, like you were 16 years old. You're telling me when you um, came to Christ, but, you know, kind of leading up to that, you said you dealt with drugs, alcohol, and vandalism, that you were just trying to be cool and and, you know, and, and get attention maybe perhaps. And so tell me about that transition. Like what, what was the, you know, the turning point uh, that turned you from that life to a life following Christ? Well, I think everybody, the call of human nature is notice me because I believe God created everybody, whether they're believers or not, they've created, God's created everybody with the need to prove or to accomplish something, that my life was worth something. It's almost like the, the scene at the end of Saving Private Ryan, when Private Ryan is an old man, is kneeling down over the grave, and he says to his wife, did my life count? Boy, that'll grab you. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm just thankful that even as a hell-raising little kid that was doing stupid things, trying to get noticed mm-hmm. that God was already reaching out to me, there were people praying for me, and I didn't know about it. Somebody invited me to a Christian concert, and the only reason I went is they said there'll be girls and loud music. (laughs) Heck, can't beat that. So I went, and that was my night to meet Jesus. The drummer who had been addicted to heroin twice said, if God can save me, he can save you. And it was like that finger came out of the stage across the audience and into my eyes. And I felt God saying, you need to respond to this tonight. This is your last chance. And I did. I got on my knees and I said, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I know you love me and I need you. Thank you. And he came into my heart. And the next day, some other friends invited me to be involved in a big youth group at a local church. And my friends changed and I started down a completely different road. I went off to college, as I mentioned to you, and uh, was a DJ and was training to be an anchorman. In the middle of that, my spiritual mentor said, have you ever considered going to seminary? And I said, no. And <laughs> we ought to consider that. Said, okay. Uh, it's a month before it starts and I don't have any money. I don't have any place to live. Uh, I can't do it. And he said, well, try and see. And a month later, I was in my first seminary class and 
had a place to live and money had been provided through a scholarship. And so my life kind of changed direction. I think God could have used me in radio and television, but he chose to use me in full-time ministry for the last 45, 47 years. Yeah. So God will use, you know, your, de- your desire for loud music and girls, maybe to, right. to, for his glory. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. there's, a, there's a lesson there as well. And uh, you were also telling me about, you know, so, you know, early on in your ministry, you had the opportunity to um, to bring some Bibles overseas and you've done a lot of overseas work. Um, but, um, you know, this was, you know, the wall fell back in 1988. But prior to that, you were there. And, uh, you know, I, I believe you said in, in Austria. So tell me about that. Was that I mean, how young were you? And was this a pretty scary thing or you felt pretty bold uh, being out there? I was about uh, 22. That was uh, during one of my summers in seminary, and I had gone to a world Christian conference, a missions conference called Urbana, which they did every two to three years. Started off at the University of uh, Illinois in Urbana, and they gather missionaries from all over the world, and they also put me through a computer matching service, and I was matched up to go with a thing called Slavic Gospel Association, and there was a team of about 18 of us that lived in Austria. And our vision for that summer was taking thousands of Bibles into the Eastern Bloc countries, such mm-hmm. as Hungary and the Czech Republic and or Czechoslovakia back then, and Bulgaria, Albania, Poland, uh, East Germany, those things like that. And some of those Bibles even ended up in Russia because back then those Bibles were illegal to own mm-hmm. in the Eastern Bloc countries. We actually took Bibles to some churches where there was only one Bible in the whole church and they would tear out pages and they would pass the pages around and you would read your page and the next week you'd bring it back and you get another page. So we would bring 200 pounds of Bibles at a time, either in our suitcases on a train or backpacks on a bus or walking and pray that God would close the border guards eyes and we were able to get the Bibles in. It was very scary, but God was very strong with us. We also did refugee camp ministry to people who are fleeing from uh, the Eastern Bloc and were able to get to Austria. And I also worked on the vehicles a little bit. We also took turns shopping and feeding each other while groups were out on the uh, teams taking the Bibles out. And what would you say to folks, you know, um, I mean, whether they're Christians or whether they just want, they, you know, they, they believe in something and they like, what can I do? Um, and some people maybe can't go so they can give and pray for people that go, but you've been to 40 different countries doing mission work and also sightseeing. Um, so tell me about, you know, for you, that calling or, and those adventures of going out and, and, um, you know, what that, did for your faith and for your life experiences, being able to see all these different cultures? Well, I believe our faith becomes much more alive when we're looking for it. Uh, There used to be a radio program called Chapel of the Air with uh, Karen Maines, and they coined a phrase called God sightings. And that phrase really caught my heart because I think most of us as Christians, especially in the West, are so logical that we don't look to the supernatural. 
we don't look for God sightings. And so we miss seeing a God who's working all around us every day. We just don't see it because we're too busy and too logical and too cerebral. And so part of my faith journey has been, especially recently, to look for God sightings. Some people would say, well, that's a coincidence. Well, I think there's much more involved. Uh, if, if we're looking for God, we're going to find him. And so that's been something very encouraging me. And I would say to anyone, put up your spiritual antennas. If you're old enough to remember my favorite Martian, which was a black and white show back in the 50s, these little antennas would come out of his head. Well, I would just encourage others to put your antennas up and say, God, show me what you want me to do. And he'll whisper in your heart. It won't be audible, but he'll, for me, most of the time, it's very simple. He'll say, text so-and-so, pray for so-and-so, go visit so-and-so. And I've come to realize that Satan, our enemy, wouldn't tell me to do those things. So it's got to be God. So if he tells me to text somebody, okay. If he tells me to go visit somebody, okay. And leave the results up to him. Life becomes much more exciting when I'm trying to listen and look for the God sightings instead of just doing my own thing. And some people may be waiting to hear this maybe Charlton Heston type voice kind of coming down and like speaking audibly to you, which does happen. The, the audible, you know, hearing God, but a lot of times it's that still small voice and you just kind of have this thought. It's the Holy spirit, you know, maybe um, sending that message to you. Right. I mean, it's not like something that's you need, need to wait for some kind of huge sign. Right. No, I think a lot of people, well, number one, I believe that we have, if we believe in God, we have to believe there's an enemy and that that enemy is, is very wily and he knows how to trip us up. And so if he can get us to go to church and do religious things and yet not really open our heart to God, then he wins. He doesn't mind us going to church. He doesn't even mind us reading the Bible if, it's, if we see it as an instruction book instead of a love letter. And so making myself available to God uh, gives my life meaning and purpose. I don't do it all the time. I'm not perfect at all. But when I do, uh, it gives life a real robustness. And like you said, it's generally not a big audible voice. But I believe it's almost like tuning your heart. In the olden days, uh, they used to have these radios, these Hallicrafter radios. And I, as a kid, had one. And I can remember listening to Radio Moscow. And it had two knobs on it. One was the broadband knob. And you would tune it to whatever the station signal was. And then you had a smaller knob that would zero it in exactly to the best frequency. And I think part of our Christian walk with Jesus, our friendship, is learning to fine-tune to where we're really hearing his voice. And a lot of times we miss the voice because we don't slow down enough and we don't use the fine-tune knob. We use the big knob, and it gets us close, but not really there. I think the whole relationship with Christ is learning to fine-tune because he wants friendship with me more than anything, more than servitude more than being good and trying to fix me. He just wants to have a relationship with me. And part of the way I do that is by fine-tuning. And, uh, you know, speaking you know, of, of fine-tuning, you know, I, it's so interesting to me how, obviously, this year, 2022, you're diagnosed with this cancer that's most likely fatal, and obviously things changed, and, and it was a, a big shakeup for you and your family this year. 
um, going through a crisis essentially. And, but your job uh, as a pastor, your pastor of visitation. So you're helping people caring for those in crisis. So um, do you, do you feel like that you have a calling and a passion for that? And how do you help people? Because, you know, um, it seems like mental health, depression, going through traumas seems to be on the increase, you know, um, lately, you know, people of all ages. So how do you, um, how do you care for those that are dealing with some really very difficult situations? Well, I think, it, again, it comes down to whether my antennas are, are up or they're not. And if I'm living, living in the world of me, then they're not. But if I'm living in the world of God, what do you want to do with me as part of your redemption? And I put the antennas up, then I make myself available. Part of my individual calling is that I want to reach out to other men who struggle because most men are go into their turtle shells and they don't let anybody get close. I used to joke and say that I would shake my hand with someone else, but I didn't have an elbow. Hmm as close as you were going to get to me. I'd shake hands. People would say, yeah, he's very friendly, but uh, -uh. I never bent the elbow. And God convicted me that I was losing out on relationships because I was afraid to let people get close. And I think most men are like that. They shake without an elbow. So in the movie Dances with Wolves, the Indian lady was uh, shakes with a fist. Well, I'm shakes or I'm shakes with an elbow. <laughs> somebody actually made me a piece of artwork that's in my office that has two PVC pipes coming together on a 45 degree PVC pipe. And the idea, they put it in a shadow box. And the idea was Jim is learning how to shakes with an elbow. Oh, now what, what about hugs? Are you, are you, are you a hugger? Or? I'm a big hugger. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't used to be loud at all, but I've learned by watching other people and I know what it does for people. A lot of times they don't know what to do with it, but the more you do it, the more you're blessed. And some people that's not comfortable for them and that's okay, but I try to offer it. And more often than not, people really do need and they like a hug. Yeah. And, and speaking of men, you know, a lot of times sports is a big part of, of I mean, anybody's life, especially men, you know, in terms of bonding with each other over sports or being a big fan, whether it be basketball, football, baseball, hockey, whatever, or playing those sports, especially growing up. And, um, you know, at about 21 years old, you started running. So, um, cause you know, running a lot of times, you know, and I'm, I've been a runner now for the last nine or 10 years doing marathons and such. But, um, you know, I, when I grew up playing basketball in North Carolina and tennis, you know, uh, running was the punishment for my sport. <laughs> so, um, and now I do it just because I want to. So how did you get into to running? And, and cause I mean, for you, you did it for almost 20 years. Well, lest anyone think that I'm too spiritual. My, my roommate and I figured we're never going to get a date being this fat. So we started running and we both lost about 30 pounds and we would run by the girl's dorm at the seminary, hoping we'd be noticed. Back and forth, right? Back and forth. <laughs> yep. And that just turned into a, a good discipline. And I would go out and run 6.2 miles every day. And that was just my thing. And I kept it up and I've been able to, some of my most memorable runs and walks have been in other countries like in Iceland and Fiji and New Zealand and the Azores and other place. I can very easily visualize those runs or those walks. And I'm very thankful that I was able to do that. 
and I miss the uh, adrenaline of running, but I don't miss the pain that was coming with the knees. So now I have to do it in a different way. And that's a good lesson too, that like sometimes listen, your, your body will maybe only allow you to do certain things and, and your mind, you know, maybe it's a, a mental and physical kind of tug of war, but you, you know, maybe you can't do one certain thing. Cause people say, I can't run or I don't want to run, but then that's no excuse. You can still do something active, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, I think it's very easy to cop out. And again, if we believe that there's a dark force or an enemy that hates us, and he wants to stand up like a Wally civilization where everybody stays in their recliner and everybody, everything is brought to them and they become very badly out of shape and they don't get to enjoy relationship as much and they don't get to enjoy uh, nature. So like I said, for me, it was starting off small and just sticking with it. There are very few mornings that when I get to the bottom of the mountain, that I'm thinking, oh boy, I can't wait to go back up that 600 foot vertical. <laughs> but I also talk out loud to myself and say, okay, if I sit down now and it's 20 degrees, I'm going to die of hypothermia. Or who's going to be out at this time of day is going to pick me up and drag me home. So I figure, oh, well, I guess I better start back up the hill. Yeah. And um, do you feel like in terms of your fitness, whether it be running or now you're, you walk so much on a regular basis, do you feel like there is um, that could be part of your witness, part of your faith journey? You talk about listening to worship music and and that being a chance to kind of talk to God, pray, listen. Um, do you feel like that there's a parallel there with the fitness you know whether whatever it is where you play baseball or you play pickleball or whatever else and that can be part of you know obviously we want to you know our body's a temple as the bible says but do you think there's some parallels there oh yeah um you know we're to run the run the race like you talked about is kind of a theme for this podcast and i think there are a lot of analogies between the two i wish and this is being quite honest i wish i took my spirituality as seriously as i do my walking and maybe as you do, you're running. Uh, it's, it's very easy for us to, once we've set a goal and we get into it in a healthy way, to keep doing it. Uh, spiritually, we tend to wander, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Mm -hmm. That's just human nature because I can't see God. I can't necessarily hear him, but I sure can put on my sneakers and I sure can walk down and up the hill and stuff like that and run into other people. You know, there's these people in the neighborhood that I've gotten to know them through their dogs. So God's actually given a ministry through be nice to the dog and through the dog, I get to know the people. So it's a ministry through walking. And, uh, you know, going back to um, kind of closing out a little bit, you know, the uh, talking about the cancer that, I guess you still have, it's not necessarily quote in remission, but you are, uh, have this immunotherapy that the scans are clear and you continue on, but you know, who knows, all of us don't know how long we have to live weeks, months, years, decades, whatever. And you're in the same boat there. So, you know, does, um, does this make you kind of realize that like, you really want to live life to the fullest that you just, I mean, cause you don't know. I mean, at this point though, you feel like you probably are, um, closer to the end, and, and does that change things for you? It makes me much more uh, focused. 
uh, on a daily basis. You know, when I get out of bed and I look back at that T-shirt, it reminds me you have a terminal disease and you can either get busy dying and sit there and mope and just sit in the corner until it's your turn, or you can get busy living carpe diem and enjoy life as much as you can, put your spiritual antennas up, see what God wants to do through you. And I think so much of life, if we're not careful, we think, gosh, I never did anything big for God, you know, like a big M in missions. I think that what God is more interested in is a bunch of little M's, the little things we do to express the love of Christ to other people. Billy Graham one time said, as he stood before an audience of 80,000 people, I am no more important than the guy that plugged in the microphone. And he really meant it because without the whole team that supported Billy Graham through the years, he would be no good because nobody could hear him and nobody would have set up all of the thousands of details and they start three years out praying for their crusades. And so he realized that he was just one cog in the wheel that God was using. And so if your cog is setting up chairs or plugging in a microphone or making the coffee, if we do that unto God, then that, uh, brings glory to God. And it's just as important as the big M people, like those that stand on the stage and preach or those that do the quote, big things. Jesus says it's more about obedience in the little things that's uh, really important. Yeah, everybody has a purpose. And, you know, if we look at it the way the world looks at it, all these people are super important and make a lot of money. So they're better than me, but God does not look at it that way. God looks at it as we are all his children and, you know, he wants us to have relationship with him yeah. um, no matter where we are in life. Yeah. Steve Brown is one of my favorite authors and he would say that his mission statement for life over the last 80 years is this, God is not mad at you. And I've really taken that to heart as I've better understood the grace of God, that he's not mad at me. He's not up there thinking he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so you better, better be good for business sake. That's not, that's not God. Our God is a God that showed what love is by sending Christ to die for people like me, because I couldn't make my way to heaven. And it only takes one sin to separate me from God. And so I'm just thankful that Jesus died for me and that some people started praying for me three years before I came to Christ and that somebody invited me to a concert. And then the next day, somebody invited me to a healthy church group. In that church group, I got to know my spiritual mentor who had everything to do with redirecting my life because I am certain that I would have died in drug abuse if I had not come to Christ and changed my friends. Yeah. And, and it, it reminds me of, you know, um, one of the movies that our family watches pretty much every Christmas, one of our favorite movies, not just holiday ones. It's a wonderful life and about how, you know, he um, did so much, so many things unselfishly, but and, and gave up a lot of stuff that, that he wanted to do for himself, uh, for others and for the cause. But he, you know, didn't realize how much of an impact he had. And, and we think about, like, what if we had that opportunity to, to see, you know, what we were, but like these little things, little seeds that were planted, we maybe don't get to see them grow. And they, you know, and, and, and maybe we do years later, but it's amazing, you know, how we think in that perspective. 
Yeah, if you remember one of the last scenes in that movie, the bell rings, he opens a little card and it says, he is no failure who has friends. Yes. And that really sums it up in our Christianity. It's not just me and Jesus have our own thing going. We don't need anybody else to tell us what it's all about. I need Jesus as he shows himself through other people. Somebody has said that it's like looking at a diamond and has many facets. Well, I can only see one facet of that diamond, but I can see him as I get to know Jason, I can get to see see a different view of Jesus. And as I get to know Jason's mom, Susan, I can see a different face of God. And so I need the body of Christ. I wasn't created to do this thing alone. I need to hear how other people see Jesus. And it may be a little bit different, but it helps me to understand that God is the God of the world, not just Western North Carolina, uh, medium income kind of thing. He is the God that's doing supernatural things all over the world. And I need to be open enough to let God be God. Yeah. And I appreciate your friendship and, and uh, uh, to, to my mom, Susan, and my sister, Sherry, they, they speak very highly of you. So, uh, um, you know, and, and flattery, like uh, more flattery for you, right? <laughs> there you go. Um, and I, I close out, um, you know, most or pretty much every podcast episode with prayer. So I'd love for you, uh, Jim, to, to close us out in prayer if you could. Sure. Thank you. Sweet Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your death, burial, and resurrection. Don't ever let us uh, get away from that. Don't ever let us get bored with the blood that cleanses from all unrighteousness. Father God, thank you, Daddy, that you are not mad at me. You are not mad at anybody that's listening to this podcast. You chose to love us. And you didn't say it was one way. For God so loved the world that he gave, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Thank you, God, that you're not up there waggling a finger and having the stern look, but you are having open arms and welcoming us to you because of the shed blood of Jesus, that my sin has already been paid for. And I pray, Jesus, that each person that hears this would understand that how high, wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and that never changes. It has nothing to do with my behavior. It was a gift that was bought at the cross. So thank you, Jesus, for your friendship. Thank you for using walking, for using cancer, for using broadcasting for your glory, that others could understand that God is not angry at them. I pray that people would be able to see the God of heaven the way he really is, not the way he has been shown through people, because we've all shown a very bad picture of who Jesus is. So we want to look to you to see who this Jesus is, because you said when you see Jesus, you see the Father. So help us to get to know you and that you're not mad at us. Help us to put up our spiritual antennas and hear your voice whispering the little M's, the little missions that you have for each of us. And that could be a prayer. It could be a dollar sent somewhere. It could be going to lunch with somebody. It could be making things right with somebody that we are not right with. So thank you, Jesus, that you're in those kind of businesses. Thanks, God, for this podcast, and thank you for the privilege that you've given me today to reminisce and think a little bit of what you've been doing in my heart, my life. I give you the glory because I recognize it's not me. 
I can't pat myself on the back for all the walking. It's been a gift. Thanks, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well said, well prayed. Thank you so much, uh, Jim, for your time. It was great catching up. And uh, hopefully our uh, North Carolina Tar Heels basketball team can uh, continue uh, doing well. Uh, and uh, I know you're going to be going to a game in just a little bit. So uh, um, I'm looking forward to maybe uh, maybe we'll, we'll catch up. We'll, maybe we'll have uh, some breakfast or lunch next time I'm up in the mountains of North Carolina. We'll, our prayers continue for you and your family as you uh, continue being treated for uh, this cancer. But uh, thank you so much for opening up and, and sharing stories and, and uh, inspiration for so many people. My privilege. Thank you. Thanks for the ministry you have, Jason.